Hey there, friends. Welcome back Beyond the Walls with Team World Vision. As many of you are beginning your seasons, adding on to your mileage this week, we wanted to take some time and reflect on some of the great stories around fundraising that we featured on our podcast over the last year. We're actually calling this a quilt episode, y'all. We're simply quilting some of our best moments together, and our first quilt episode is actually centering around not just the idea of fundraising, but really the stories and the God moments around fundraising. Because you know what? Fundraising is hard. I mean, it's awkward. I know you know that. No matter how many years you do this, it doesn't diminish the fact that fundraising is just intimidating and can be very difficult. Actually, years ago, we had some of you, our runners, interviewed about our Team World Vision experience. What we found was that most runners felt a lot of community and togetherness throughout the season, particularly when it came to training. The running we did together. However, when it came to the fundraising journey, folks felt pretty alone. So ever since, we've been working hard to make sure that everyone that wears an orange jersey has the ability and the tools to not feel lonely in their quest to fundraise and make an incredible impact on the lives of children globally. If you've been listening to the podcast for the last year, you're going to hear some great stories that you may remember. We're quilting together some of our favorite fundraising moments or tales, if you will. The first flashback we're beginning is a conversation with Brian Frazier and Danny Cole. This was back in the day, episode 16, July 31st, 2020. These two shared some incredible stories from their own personal fundraising journeys of stepping through fear and making an impact. So listen in as they share their least favorite and most favorite things about fundraising with Team World Vision. Yeah, you know, fundraising is this love-hate uh, thing. It's it's going to be that way for everyone. You know, you you hate you hate the nose, um, or you hate the you, you hate the no answer on the other end of the phone metaphor. You know, of uh, you've put out the asks and you're not getting the answers, and those are desert places that that God wants us to be in um, because you don't get to enjoy the oasis. You don't get to enjoy the the, the gift. If you, unless you've been without. And so it's a journey that I'm still looking forward to. It's still a, a place I enjoy, um, even though it's uncomfortable and, it, and I don't like it. I don't know how that works. But when the donations come and you see God enter in, or maybe he's entering in and just ministering to, to me when, when, when I'm in that desert place, and uh, that's still all worth it. The, the journey is, is all worth it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to say this as eloquently as Brian just did, but I will tell you that even though I know it is necessary and I continue to do it, I still hate direct asks. It is still so awkward every single time. Like I wish I could say that is where I thrived, but I hate it. I hate it. I'll be standing at a, at a barbecue with some friends and kind of start telling my story. And I, I make that ask and it is awkward every time. And I've had people straight up say, no, I've had people say, yeah, absolutely. Send me the link. Um, you know, I've had times where it's very successful and I'll get, you know, I'm nine people over and seven people will sponsor a kid. And that's amazing. Um, but I've had other times where, um, everyone just kind of quickly changes the subject. But what I do know is you just have to continue to be obedient 
And this entire ministry is about stepping beyond fear, right? Like that's what we were all invited to is you see your fear, you know that God has something great for you on the other side of that fear. So you just have to see it, acknowledge it and step through it. And so I feel like every time I make that direct ask, um, I'm just trying to be obedient in that and um, continuing to step beyond my fear and, um, you know, and hopeful and anticipating what God has on the other side of it. What is your most favorite thing about fundraising? Yeah, I, I think it would be easy to say when that big donation comes in, that's your favorite thing. But to be honest, those are not necessarily the, in and of themselves the times that I'm crying. The times that I'm crying are when the person I least expected comes in and does something that I never would have guessed or expected. It could be $2, it could be $20,000, it doesn't matter. And you put the ask out there, this is, you know, I've had a couple cases of just people that should not be donating. I had no financial business in donating to, to what I'm doing. Uh, single moms, uh, you know, a, um, a family member of mine who is taking care of a disabled spouse and they just should not be doing that. And um, there they are living a life of sacrifice that is, extends far beyond my life. And, and I am challenged. Um, I am personally convicted that I need to look in the mirror and, and, and do, God needs to do some big stuff in me. Yeah, I, I have to agree with Brian. And, um, but I would also say, uh, I love when someone donates and I have no clue who they are. I mean, I once had my sister's husband's aunt donate and I don't even know how she found out or what, what was happening. And I had to, you know, when you're on Facebook and you're literally trying to research who just donated, I don't even know this person. Like that is just such a cool moment. And when you realize that this is so much bigger than you, than your own personal journey, than your own personal fundraising, that God is doing things that you don't even see. Right. Um, but I have to tell you when I get that little text message, <laughs> that says someone donated, it's like, no matter what is happening, it doesn't matter if I'm in a serious debate, if I'm in a meeting, if I'm in a movie, my world stops for just a minute. And I see that someone donated, you know, that somebody took time to find my page, to put their own personal money on it. And I just like, I just take a moment to rejoice and to pray and to say thank you and to reach out to them. But those dang text messages, I love them so much. That's, that's mine, man. When you get that text message, a team world vision text is literally saying somebody's alive on the other side of the world because of someone else's generosity, whether it be the widow's might or, you know, a mountain moving donation, they're all moving mountains. They're all changing lives. And that God used, me somehow to help that happen what's been your favorite donation or most surprising donation because mine came from a woman who i went to high school with she's a year older than me we'd grown up together um, but not super good friends you know we just overlapped in social social circles classes athletics things like that non-christian i got that ding a day before a race i looked down opened my page and saw it was stephanie and she wrote on my page, I don't like the church and I surely don't believe in Jesus. But if this is what you guys are about, I can get behind that. And I just thought for, for nothing else, like you said, it's just so much bigger. It's so much bigger than us. 
So what's your favorite? Favorite donation story, most surprising donation story? I have a, a close friend who, uh, who she, you know, she is a part of our church here and, and has you know, single mom, um, has seven kids still at home, still one, one has, has grown up and left the house. And, you know, she's three jobs and it, the, the life that she gives others is nonstop. Her energy levels are far beyond um, anything I can dream of. And yet I know what she should be doing and what she shouldn't be doing when it comes to where that money could be going. And to know that um, when she gave a donation that was just far and above what most people give, um, far and above what most people with who make far more than she does and do not have the financial challenges that she does. And for her to, to she and I had to have a talk afterward and, and, and just say, what are you, are you crazy? She's like, yeah, I'm crazy. And, uh, and that blew me away and uh, changed me. Uh, my favorite donation came from one of my husband's high school buddies. Um, it was my first year leading a city and it was my first year fundraising, my first year taking on a half marathon. I mean, it was a year of firsts and, you know, I was um, terrified to be going after a $10,000 goal and it was race weekend. We had just finished team lunch. I was exhausted. And um, I remember I'd found somewhere to put my feet up and that text message came through, that beautiful text message. And um, this came from somebody I hadn't seen since my wedding day. I mean, it had been nine years since I had seen this guy. Um, James and I, we, we weren't talking to him a whole lot. And just out of nowhere, um, this large donation came in. And it's still my single largest donation I've ever received. But I'm telling you to receive that encouragement when it felt like I was running on fumes. Um, I'll never forget it. And, you know, I, I didn't even know that he knew what I was doing or what I was fundraising for. And um, we took him out for sushi, of course, later after <laughs> everything had calmed down. And he just said that he was um, just excited to support the organization excited to support World Vision and to um, bring kids clean water and to support us. But yeah, it was um, it's just a moment I'll never forget. It just filled filled my empty tank for sure. felt inspired by some of those stories that Brian and Danny shared. I also hope that it makes you reflect on some of your own fundraising moments that stand out and also encourage you. This next excerpt is a small part of my conversation with Gina Johnson, the Gina Johnson from Team World Vision LA back in episode 17 in August of 2020. Gina's got some great nuggets from her challenges during COVID, but really how she invites people into what she's doing every time she moves her feet. And in the season of Pomoja, in the midst of coronavirus, what's that been like for you? What races were on your race card this year? How have you continued to press on? Yeah, so I was... Um 
to run the Tokyo Marathon with Team World Vision the week before the Los Angeles Marathon. Um, and so that was a bit of a challenge, but I was like, we can do it, no problem. And then coronavirus um, totally decimated that race. So Tokyo was canceled. Um, obviously, as you know from the Olympics, everything um, is in uh, a little bit of instability. Um, but we've been fundraising, and, and Tokyo was actually a sponsorship um, invitational. So we were asking, inviting people into Sponsor Kids Lives, um, and we continue to do that. Conveniently for me, I was training for a marathon the next week. Um, so it wasn't like I, you know, my training got thrown off of anything. It was like, okay, I'll actually have a better race in LA because I won't soar from Tokyo. Um, and the Los Angeles Marathon was a miracle. I will say that to the day I die. Um, it was a miracle and that that marathon went off um, and we raised over a million dollars um, for kids and life. And literally the next day, everything was shut down. Here's the question, though. You're just like dropping fundraising dollars like nobody's business, like manna from heaven. How does that happen? You know, in yeah. the midst of all that's happening, where does that boldness and courage come from? Where do those donations come from? What sort of encouragement can you give to our, our other runners in this time? Yeah. So I, I can say um, that I always focus on the children. Um, and I have been amazed by the people who donate at my job. So again, I work in healthcare, I work with people in a, in a poor community um, who are vested in caring for the poor. I have had on more than one occasion, people come up to me and say, what are you running next? Can you send me the link? And I'm like, I mean, yes, because I focus on the kids and the life. Um, and, and so people are willing to and ready to give and to transform lives. And in this current environment, the understanding of the importance of washing your hands uh, is so apparent, um, whether it's here or abroad, um, that to, to remind people that this is what we're doing. We're transforming lives um, that should not have to face that acceptable risk, right? They should be able to wash their hands. The other thing um, that I have seen in my world is people who can't donate um, have joined the team. So so many people. For my job, there's probably about five or six people, both who work with me in my clinical and in my administrative capacity, who have joined the team. Maybe yeah. to give, but they had feet that could run. And then they get donations, and then they see lives change. One of the things that I really have learned over time was like, it's not just about me and my personal fundraising, right? No matter how much I raise as an individual, if I get 10 people around me who are also engaged in the work, then we can raise a whole lot more than I could raise as an individual. So this next excerpt is from just a few weeks ago from episode 46, but it is so good and so relevant that we wanted to share it again. What you're about to hear is some of my conversation with Chrissy Velasquez on how God continues to show up in miraculous ways, even during a pandemic and even during our canceled races. Listen and enjoy. So tell me more about that. What did, what did your, um, what did your season look like this year? You know, how did God show up? Do you have any stories or moments of transformation? 
with these ladies and, and with Ocean Hills as you moved your feet this year? Because like you said, it was it's a different year, different race, different training. The, the whole story was different. Um, but man, did we see God show up again and again and again. Yes, this is something this year, something only God could do. And we prayed that you and Kaylee, Brianna and myself, we prayed that for a season that only God could create. And I was really bummed not to be able to run the LA Marathon, to be honest. You know, in the beginning, I was scared to death to run the LA Marathon. Eight years later, I'm like, oh, come on. I love running that race. Are you kidding me? Like, that is so fun. I want a weekend away with my friends in LA. So there was really a, a sense of loss and not being able to do that. And how are we how are we still going to show up for the moms and the kids during COVID? Um, we can't even gather. What does this look like? And so, you know, we, I just, you know, with my mom group, we, we started meeting on Saturdays with our masks on and with our kids. And, you know, with so much that, Johnny Huddle taught me in the beginning about how to be a team captain and just keeping it like, this is why we run. This is why we're doing this. This is why we're doing this. And these moms just went crazy. They raised so much money and their heart was broken for the children and their hearts were broken for the mothers and together, I mean, and alongside, and you know, also let's not forget other Team World Vision members from Ocean Hills, you know, Brianna and John O'Shafer, the whole Schaefer family. The I mean, whole he, Schaefer family. Yes. Wow. I mean, it was like this huge, small but mighty team saying, you know what? We're going to do this. Like, we are doing this. We are going to make a difference. We are going to say yes to doing this. I don't really know what it's going to look like. I don't know what race week is going to look like, but you know what? We all have the ability to ask for money for these beautiful children and mothers. So bottom line, that is why we did it. And to God be the glory that we raised over $100,000 our team this year. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and uh, they were wearing beautiful green girls in beautiful green dresses with a yellow collar. Mm. And they were all under this huge oak tree. And they were sitting, you know, as a teacher, you notice these things. They were sitting so quietly and so calmly and mm -hmm. listening to us as we introduced ourselves to them. And they wanted to show us their water tank that they had and Brianna Hammond and I took a picture in front of that tank and I was just crying the whole time they were singing because it was just so beautiful. What I remember though too was I remember the hope that this community had and this sense of honor and pride with their water tank that they had with the help of world vision 
But I also remember one of the water engineers, Ronald Amolo, telling me that they hadn't had the water for that long. It was, it was kind of like a newer project. And so I noticed on the children, they didn't have shoes. Mm. Um, some of them had sores still on their, their bodies. Um, there was this cough. Mm -hmm. So that was the first one that we saw when we went to Kenya. The last one that we saw, Ronald, the water engineer, he's like, okay, Chrissy, like we have been here for a while. You know, um, I believe it was maybe 20, it was maybe 2010, I'm not sure. Yeah. Maybe 2010 when the Bartabo ADP was started. And so this last community that we went to, it was the Bartabwa Primary School. And they had had water for a while. And so we went and we visited their healthcare facility. And it was like, boom, here is the new room where mothers can have babies. And here are the new beds that we are now transferring over to the ownership of this school so these girls can sleep not three to a bed and mm. here are these beds and these i mean these children were oh my gosh they were silly they were sassy yeah. they were putting these lays on our necks as we walked through them and they're like let me see your sunglasses so they mm. were trying i mean they were like i'm like oh my gosh you are my students <laughs> and these girls showed us their dorms oh. and it was contrasting the two communities is something that I will always remember because year after year after year after having that clean water, oh my gosh, what it leads to is just endless opportunity. And that was just rad. So rad to see that. It is breathtaking to see the power of transformation over over time and with clean water and like you said um you know why celebrate beds you know well it like these girls are, are staying at the school which means they don't have to walk back and forth to the school and if they're in the at the school they're staying at the school that means their education is secured that means their clean water is there right and but what i didn't know too before i went to bartabo because I, I saw some similar schools that they were just building the the dormitory and i'm wondering actually if you saw it finished i think i saw it as it was starting i think you maybe saw it on the other side which is so exciting but when we saw it being built that dormitory was so important to these girls because when girls are in school and they're actually living there in school they're protected from female genital mutilation. They're protected from early childhood marriage. They're protected from rape because girls are the ones that are going out to get water. They're literally taken out of that ab abusive traditional culture. Again, that, that, that we all have our own software problems, right? All of us grow up in a society that has strengths and weaknesses. And those were cultural things that were being transformed in Bartabla 
by really placing these girls in these safe havens and educating them, protecting them, speaking truth and dignity and power into them. And it was really this root of clean water. I just, yeah. I could not believe, like you said, the power of that. And when someone has dignity and self-confidence, like you said, that translates to silliness and sassiness and like they are out there living their lives, dancing and celebrating and the poems and the proclamation, like it, yeah, like I can just see it in your face. Like, I mean, the two of us are getting it and I'm hoping that we're painting this picture for, for those of you that are running, running right now that you're getting it and that I hope you're running faster right now because you're encouraged <laughs> because these kids are pure joy. You know, like Johnny Huddle said, they are the best investment that we could ever make into the future of this world. You know, just they are this so incredible. Chrissy, you are a baller fundraiser. You are quiet, under the radar, multiple time, legacy, team world vision runner. And this last year in a pandemic, you raised over $20,000. And this is your sixth year running, seventh year running. Come on, girl. Like, my word. How the heck does that happen? Uh, it happens one donation at a time. It really does. Um, Preach. One man. step at a time, one donation at a yes. time. Yes. You know, um, going back to that quote that I shared, we all have enough to be generous. Hmm. Combining that with um, Casey Yardley, who was a legacy runner a few, a few times, one of my very best friends. We were talking once on a run. And we were, we were talking about how as a church and as a community, we have raised over a million dollars for clean water. And she said something that I will never forget. She said, you know, Chrissy, I don't think any of that million dollars was a real sacrificial gift where people were having to go without their cell phone where people were having to go without their cable. I, I don't think that that million dollars was, I do believe that there is money mm -hmm. here to be shared mm -hmm. and that we all have been given mm -hmm. our work and where we are and our education mm -hmm. to share it. Mm-hmm. And so when I ask for a donation and when I ask to get a child sponsored, I have no attachment to if it's a yes or a no. I believe that the money is there. And if God wants to move in somebody's heart to give that donation, awesome. I always say every season, like no regrets. So I'm going to ask and I'm going to ask boldly. And if somebody is placed on my heart, I am going to invite them in to join me. And if it's a no, it's totally fine because there's an abundance. You know, this is another, another just little thing. Every morning I write out my my gratitude list and my intentions, my goals. Mm. I'm a type three Enneagram, so I like to achieve. <laughs> and, but I do, I write out, I raised $10,000 for the mothers mm -hmm. and the children. 
And I write that out every single day as if it has already happened. And I start writing that in September. Mm. And when there's certain children who I want to get sponsored, I write down, I found a sponsor for mm -hmm. Michael. And that intention helps me to stay open mm -hmm. to anybody that God might bring to mind mm -hmm. and just to invite them in and say, hey, this is Marianne. She lives in the Congo and she has two older sisters and one younger brother and she's six and she has been chosen as one of the most vulnerable children in her community and she needs a sponsor. Would you consider sponsoring her? Come on. And if, you know, and so people are so generous. They're like, yes, 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 yes. And if it's a no, it's fine. It is so fine because you know what? I believe God is going to bring somebody else to mind who could do that. And that's going to be their opportunity. Well, there you have it, my friends. As always, thanks for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoyed this little quilt episode about some of our favorite stories on fundraising, both getting it done, making it happen, but most importantly, the stories and God moments that it brings about as we step out of our comfort zones and advocate for others. We'll bring you more quilt episodes from time to time. And if you haven't listened to our other podcast episodes, please go back and do so. You never have to run alone. We have so much great content for you. It's all right there. If you liked the podcast, go ahead and write a review, subscribe, rate, and share. We'll see you next week.